Father, we just come to you today, and Lord, we're certainly living in exciting times. The alarms are going off all around us, Lord, that seem to say that uh, the end might very well be near. And Lord, what does that mean for us? What's next for us? If the end is near, Lord, we know it's uh, our departure from here, Lord, but you're going to come and get us and take us to be with you and to live with you forever. Lord, so today as we look at the Israelites, as they begin to prepare for their departure, Lord, we ask that you take these truths and these texts and uh, you give them application into our lives, and Lord, that, that we're ready just like they were ready to leave, Lord, that, that our longing for this world begins to fade, Lord, and that, that our longing for you grows more and more each day. Lord, we want to be with you. We're excited about being with you. Lord, but we know there's work to still be done, and Lord, we ask that you guide us in that work, and Lord, that uh, we're able to reach some of these people that are lost before they die, Lord, I just ask for your blessings on our life, that you give us those opportunities, Lord, and that we're ready to, to give every man an answer who asks. Father, we just ask for you again to bless our word today. We, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your goodness to us, the goodness that you gave us through Jesus Christ when, when he shed his blood for us, Lord. Uh, and we just, we're so grateful for that, and we thank you for uh, what he's done for us, and we ask you to bless our study today. We ask that in the name of Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. David's going to put a cartoon up here. Uh, where is David? It's there. Okay. Ken sent me this this past week. Uh, you see this guy. He's sitting on his lawn chair, and he's surrounded by frogs. Uh, and he's reading the headlines, and the headlines say, pandemic, wildfires, riots, hurricanes, and earthquakes. And here, this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, what's next? Uh, hell and rivers of blood? Uh, I, the, the cartoonist was trying to be a little bit funny in making this uh, satire about the times in which we live, but he strikes a nerve, because you can take that thing down now, because he, he asked a question I think that a lot of people are asking right now, and that is, what is next? Uh, we are in a, living in a world uh, that's being plagued by uh, all sorts of plagues, and, and all of us are kind of asking, what's next? Uh, and that's why I don't believe there's a more appropriate scripture to be covering right now than what we're covering right now uh, in the book of Exodus, because it is certainly applicable to the times in which we live. Now, just a side note there, that's true for the whole Bible. The Bible is always applicable to the times in which we live. And if you're not in the Word, let me tell you right now, you are robbing yourself of a blessing from God because God speaks to us through His Word, and He can take His Word at any time, and He can apply it to the, to the times in which we live. And that's exactly what He does here today as we, as we look at this, this text in in uh, Exodus 10 and 11, uh, because uh, we're going to be, the Israelites are asking now, here, they're going through all of these plagues, uh, the Egyptians are going through all these plagues, and the question is, what's next? Well, what's next on their calendar? What's next on their calendar is the Exodus, and that's what we're going to be looking at in, in weeks to come. Uh, and so, uh, today we're going to look at the last few plagues, so go with me to the book of Exodus, and look at chapter number 10. Exodus chapter number 10, and that's where we're going to begin today. But first, let's talk about where we were at last week. We were at the, uh, in chapter 9, and we had looked at the seventh plague. And the seventh plague was the hell mingled with fire. And if you remember, before that plague came, Moses told Pharaoh, uh, and he was speaking on behalf of the Lord, that these plagues that are going to come now are going to strike you at your very heart. Uh, these plagues are going to cause the loss, loss of life, of your family, of your friends, uh, of, of your servants. They're going to cause the life of your uh, livestock. And so they're going to really strike you at your heart. And when we saw this plague of hell mixed with fire, that's exactly what happened. And you, it, it, I mean, I wish we could have a picture of what they saw in that day after all of that hell and all of that fire had gone across their land. And, and, and pretty much everything was destroyed, and everybody that wasn't inside and all the cattle that were inside were killed during that plague. And so it was a terrible plague, and they're only going to get 
worse now as we come to, to chapter number 10 and we look at this plague of locusts. So, so go with me to chapter number 10 and let's pick up in verse number 1 and we'll look at the 8th plague, the plague of locusts. Now the Lord said to Moses, verse number 1 of chapter 10, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. Now, why would the Lord do that? I mean, why didn't the Lord just send the first plague, and when Pharaoh didn't do what he asked him to do, and he didn't let the people go, why did he just stop there, knock Pharaoh out of the way, and let Israel go? Why did he do that? Well, he's going to tell us why. He had a purpose in that. He says that I may show the, these signs of mine before Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Israelites as a witness of my mighty power not just for now but for generations to come because look at verse number two and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt my, and my signs which I have done among the Hebrews and among the Egyptians I mean here we are this very day uh, several thousand years from when these plagues took place, and we're still talking about these plagues, and so they were mighty plagues. And here's the main reason, but this last uh, phrase of this last sentence, that you may know that I am the Lord, the true and living God. Here were all these Egyptians living among all of these uh, pagan gods who they worshipped, and they didn't know anything about the true and living God. Well, now they know something about the true and living God. We look at the plagues that are going on in our world right now, and I'll tell you one of the things they teach you, they teach you something about the true and living God, a side of God that a lot of people don't want to know about. And that's the side that God judges wickedness, that he judges unrighteousness. And I believe that's exactly what's happening in our world today. And so uh, uh, here's what happens next. Uh, Moses, on behalf of the Lord, goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And, uh, and if you don't let my people go, then I'm going to send a plague of locusts upon the land and those locusts are going to eat up everything that the hell and, and fire didn't destroy and, and uh, uh, it's going to get really, really bad, and it's going to cause a famine, and people are going to starve, and so they're not going to have anything to eat, uh, and it's going to affect Egypt for years, and they're going to infest your homes. And uh, uh, then Moses leaves, and uh, we pick up in, in verse number 7. Let's go all the way to verse number 7. Then Pharaoh's servants, look, they're getting tired of this. They're, they're seeing everything around them being destroyed, and they, they, they see how hard headed and how hard-hearted Pharaoh is and and they beg him hey you got to do something about this in verse number seven then Pharaoh's servant said to him how long shall this man be a snare to us let the man go let the Hebrews go let them go out and worship their God in the wilderness that they may serve the Lord their God do not do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed Pharaoh look around you Look around at the effect of all these plagues that are taking place. That's, that's kind of what I'm wondering today. Why aren't people looking around and wondering what in the world's going on? Are we, are we going to have to be totally destroyed before people wake up? And that's, that's what he's saying. Wake up, Pharaoh. We're, 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 we're almost done. If you don't stop this, we're going to be done. So Moses and Aaron were brought, again, verse number 8, to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. And then he asked a question, who are the ones that are, are going? And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old and with our sons and with our daughters and with our flocks and with our herds, we will go. We're all going. Everything we've got, we're taking with us. We're, we're heading out of here. Uh, and and for, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then Pharaoh says to him, he says, hey, he, he really offers them a compliment compromise in a really nasty way he says I'll let you go but I'm not going to let you take your little ones he said to him he said to them then the Lord he said to them the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go uh, beware for evil is ahead of you in other words the day you take your little ones out of Egypt is the day you die You'd better not take them. And you can go, but you better not take your little ones with you. Then pick up down in verse number 13. 
So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And with, when, when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. It's kind of funny. I don't know if it's that way at your house. I live kind of out in the country uh, in Broussard. But after the hurricane, that wind brought up a bunch of mosquitoes. I don't know if you've been having problems with mosquitoes or not, but you can see how the Lord could do this. Uh, I mean, he could create the, the locusts like he did the gnats, but all he does is get a strong wind blowing, and he blows all these locusts into Egypt. And the locusts went up, verse number 14, over all the land of Egypt and rested over all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locust as, as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the, the fruit of the, of the trees which the, hell had, had not, which the hell had left. So there remained nothing green. Just get this picture now. Nothing green on the trees or the plants or the field throughout the land of Egypt. So imagine this scene. I mean, it's an apocalyptic scene. There's nothing green in the land. I mean, it's kind of dark and gray and dreary. Uh, it's almost like a nuclear war zone. And there's no plants in the field. There's no green grass. There's no uh, fruit on the trees. There's no leaves on the trees. And so Pharaoh at this point, he says, I've had enough. I've had enough. I, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. And he says, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord, and I've sinned against you. Now, here's Pharaoh's problem. It's a problem a lot of people have. They come to a point where they're really troubled in their life, and they admit to the fact that it's really their fault. And they say, I have sinned. Does that do you much good to come to that point? Not really. I mean, it helps. It's a starting point. But where do you got to go from there? You have to repent of your sin. If that acknowledgement of sin doesn't lead you to repentance, it does you absolutely no good. I've heard politicians over the years. I remember uh, Bill Clinton after he was caught in his affair with Monica Lewinsky saying, I have sinned. Well, what did, that, what did that do for you? I mean, the fact you tell me you've sinned, you didn't have to tell me that. We all knew that. We saw pictures of that, and you wouldn't have told us that if you hadn't have been caught. Really what you were saying, I've been caught. There's a big difference in recognizing the fact that you've been caught and recognizing the fact that you've done something terrible. You've not only sinned against an individual, you've sinned against a holy God. And see, that's where Pharaoh had come. He, he really was saying, I've been caught. I'm sorry I've been caught. But that doesn't do you any good, and, and, and it really doesn't do uh, Pharaoh any good at this point either. And so uh, he says, I've sinned. Uh, Moses prays, but he, he does give him some grace. Moses prays, and a west wind comes uh, into Egypt, and it blows all of the locusts out into the Red Sea, and there's not one locust left in Egypt, uh, not one single locust. So you know this is not just a wind. It's a, it's a wind of the, of the breath of God, a miracle where he somehow picks up every single locust and takes them and dumps them uh, in the, the Red Sea. All right, now, then pick up in verse number 10. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. I mean, remember the process that had taken place. Pharaoh had hardened his heart. He had hardened his heart. He had hardened his heart. He had hardened his heart. And then we were told his heart became hard. Now, once his heart became hard, God wasn't going to let him go any further with that. And so God hardened his heart. He stiffened his, he, he set it in stone. Okay, you want to have a heart hard against me? Then I'm going to set that hard heart in stone. And so the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, and he did not let the children of Israel go. So, so without even a warning now, the Lord's going to send the ninth plague. And you talk about a terrible plague, a plague of darkness. What he's going to get right here, or what the Egyptians are going to get right here, and Pharaoh's going to get, is a foretaste 
of hell itself. And the reason God's going to give them a foretaste of hell itself is to give them the darkest possible warning he can give them because the next plague that's going to come upon the land is the death of the firstborn. And once you're dead, your eternity is fixed. And if you don't know the Lord, your eternity is fixed in hell. And so he's going to give them a taste of hell and say, hey, you don't want to go to hell. Not the fire part. They had a little taste of that with the hell mingled with fire, but now they're going to get this, this taste of darkness. So, so we pick up in verse number 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. It's going to be so dark that they're going to be able to feel that darkness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Then they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his bed for three days, for all, for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So this plague of darkness did not strike the Israelites. God separated uh, his people from this plague. Now what a terrible plague this was. I remember when I was a young boy, a few years back, uh, I remember... Uh, my parents taking us to Carlsbad Caverns. Actually, they took us out west, and on the way out west, we went to Carlsbad Caverns. And while we were there, they take you in an elevator down deep down into the canyon. And we got down off the elevator once we were down deep into the cave. And the ranger said, grab a hold of something. You little kids, grab a hold of your parents and hold them tight. Because what I'm going to do, I'm going to cut out the lights. And I'm going to leave them off for 30 seconds. So you can just see just how dark it is down here. As a little kid, I guess I was seven or eight years old, I mean, I still remember that day. I remember when he cut those lights off, it got so dark. And you could put your hand next to your eyes and you couldn't see your hand. It was so dark in there, you could feel that darkness deep down in your bones. I mean, it, you, you could just feel it, it was so dark. And, and that's the kind of darkness that the Egyptians faced during this plague of darkness. For three days, they could feel the very darkness. They couldn't even see their hand before their eyes. Uh, they couldn't uh, see each other. They couldn't see the door to get in and out of the door. They couldn't see the pots and pans to cook. They couldn't see the pantry to find the food. They couldn't, couldn't see the stove. They couldn't see anything. They would reach for a lantern, and they might find a lantern and they might even try to find a way to light that lantern, but they couldn't see the light of the lantern. The, sun, the, the, the Bible doesn't say that the sun stopped shining during this plague. They were just brought into total darkness. The sun was still shining. They just couldn't see the sun's light. The Israelites could see it. They could see the light of a lantern, but the Egyptians couldn't see that. And so they crawled their way to their beds, and they stayed there, and I don't blame them, they stayed there for three days days. That's very interesting to me and, and really horrifying if you're, if, I mean I'm not horrified about it because I'm a believer but if you're not a believer it should horrify you, should uh, make you tremble. The fact that hell is spoken of over and over again as a place of utter darkness, outer darkness or utter darkness depending on how you translate that but over and over again you see that can you imagine that not just for three days but for 300 years you're in outer darkness utter darkness darkness you can feel and it's hot down there too you can't see the fire the light of the fire but it's burning for 300 years for 3,000 years you're there and it's still that dark and it's still burning for 300,000 years you're there and it's still that dark, and it's still burning. And for 300 million years you're there, and it's still that dark, and it's still burning, and there's no relief forever from that darkness. Now, you can say, I don't believe in hell, and I don't believe people go to hell, but what you believe isn't really what matters. What matters is what God believes. And what God believes is given to us in this word. 
And so, man, we need to be real serious about this thing called hell. And that's what God was trying to do here in love to these Egyptians because they were about to, a lot of them were about to head to eternity. And they were never going to escape that darkness. So he says, taste this for three days and see if this is what you want. And nobody wants that. God doesn't want that. But he creates us as eternal souls. And, 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 and we reject him, and that's our fate if we don't turn to Christ. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, describes hell as a place of black darkness. Not darkness, black darkness. A place where light can never enter. A place far removed from the light of God. And the Egyptians had three days of that horrific darkness. You know, it wouldn't be maybe a bad idea for that to happen to us today. Not to us in here, but to this world. To just get a taste of what we're heading for. And I think, in a spiritual sense, that's what we're seeing as we see our country implode around us. We're getting a taste of what hell is like. When there is no law. When there is no righteousness. When there is no light. We're, we're seeing that, and, it, and it's really scary. And, and, and uh, this plague even scared the hard-hearted old Pharaoh. And so he says, look, you go into the wilderness and you worship your God and you take your little ones with you. But listen, don't take your livestock. You can go, but leave your livestock. But he was a stubborn guy. Well, you would think after that plague, he said, get these guys out of here. We don't ever want to see them again. But he said, Hey, take, leave, take your little ones, take everybody, but you can't take your lifestyle. Now, what's he doing here? He's offering a compromise uh, to Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel. And, and Moses isn't going to take it. He's not going to take it because Moses is not there to compromise. God has told Moses what he's supposed to do, and Moses is going to do it. What do we do when we're offered compromises? Because we're going to be offered compromises. All of this is, is just types of what happens to us as Christians. I mean, this whole th book of Exodus is a book of typology. I can tell you that right. The Exodus itself is a type of our salvation. Egypt is a type of the world. Uh, uh, the Red Sea crossing is a type of our baptism. The wilderness journey is a type of the wilderness life that you can expect to lead after you get saved. It's a rough life out there once you get saved. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You get saved and things get tough, but there's a victory. You cross over from, from, uh, from Romans chapter 7 where, where the things you don't want to do or what you do, to all of a sudden you have victory in Romans chapter 8. And where does that victory come? Where is that victory? It's in Christ Jesus. And that's a type of the promised land. And Pharaoh, in all of this, is a type of the devil. And what does the devil do? He offers us compromises. He loves to try to get us to compromise. And i got to tell you, the church, for the most part, is compromised. And most Christians have compromised. I mean, just look at some of these compromises that he's offered to, to, to Moses and the Israelites. After the plague of flies, Pharaoh said, you can sacrifice, you can go to the wilderness and you can sacrifice, no, you can go and sacrifice to your Lord, to, your Lord, to the Lord, but you need to stay in the land of Egypt. Don't go into the wilderness to sacrifice. In other words, stay in Egypt and serve your God. Isn't that what, what the devil says to us when we begin to, 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 to make a move towards uh, worshiping Jesus Christ? Isn't that what he says to us? Hey, hey, worship Christ, but stay in the world. And that's what a lot of so-called so Christians do. They, they, they 
proclaim to know Christ, but they never leave the world. Now, if the devil can get you to do that, what he's done, in effect, he's kept you from being saved because you can't be saved and be worldly. Now, uh, let me give you a scripture to back that up. You know, a scripture you're all familiar with, John chapter, John, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You're not in Christ. You don't know the Father if you love this world. Now, I, I talked about the world a few weeks back when we looked at that verse in a, in a prior study, and, and, and that's not the trees and the birds and your family and those kind of things. That's not what the world is talking about. It's talking about this evil world system, this evil morality, this evil government, all of these things. If that's what you're part of, if that's who you are, you're part of the evil system that's in this world, and you love that system, and you love the evil things of this world, then the love of the Father's not in you. But the devil wants you to compromise. And I, and I got to tell you, a lot of people compromise right now. Let me tell you what, it, we're living in an age where the lines are being drawn, where you're really going to have a hard time compromising if you've been compromising. You're either going to be on the side of good or you're going to be on the side of evil. And that's not necessarily Republican or Democrat. I mean, there are a lot of evil Republicans. A lot more evil Democrats would be my opinion. But, but, that, but there's... But there are, is evil, all sorts of evil, everywhere in this world. And I see people on, on Fox News that are just as evil as the people that are they're burning down the cities. They're just as godless, let me put it that way. And that's really what it means to be in this world. It means to be godless. And so, hey, you don't want to make that compromise. But then he makes another compromise right after that. Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, okay. Uh, Moses says, we're not going to do that. And Pharaoh says, okay, go into the wilderness, but don't go too far. Isn't that what the devil says to us? Okay, you want to be a Christian, that's okay. Just don't go too far with it. You definitely don't want to become one of those Christian fanatics. Now, that's, that's something you just don't want to do. You know, it's funny in our society, you can dress up like a chicken and paint your face yellow and go to a baseball game and yell like crazy, and that's okay. But you get excited about Jesus Christ and you're called a fanatic. Well, call me a fanatic. Because if I don't have passion for Jesus Christ, let me tell you what, I'm not a Christian. Again, let me give you a verse to back that up. You go over to, 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 to Revelation chapter 3 and Jesus speaks of the Laodicean church. And he says to them, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. No, well, you're not hot for me. You're lukewarm. And what does Jesus say I'm going to do with you? He says, I'm going to vomit you out. You make me sick to my stomach. The, the King James is nice about it. It says, I'm going to spit you out. But it, the, the literal word there is, I'm going to vomit you out because you make me sick. But there's no place for lukewarmness in Christianity. If you've been born again, you have a passion for Christ. He is your passion. That, that's, the Spirit makes him your passion. And, and so, so that's, that you can't make that compromise. And people start heading to Christ, and they say, okay, yeah, I think I'll join the church, but I'm really not going to get too, I don't, be, I don't want anybody to know I'm, I've done this. I don't want to be a fanatic in this. And, and, and the devil uh, gets a win there. Now, then we came to the plague of locusts just then, and Pharaoh says, okay, you can go into the wilderness, but just don't take your little one. You parents, listen to me real carefully here. Because, because that's a, the, the compromise the devil offers you. And he offers to, to you, and unwittingly, a lot of Christians fall for that compromise. Moses fell for that compromise, remember? When Moses was heading off to deliver Egypt, he headed for Midian, God stopped him and said, I'm going to kill you. And why was God going to kill him? Because he hadn't taken care of sanctifying his own son. He was going to Egypt to, live, to deliver millions of people and he take, hadn't taken care of business at home. And God said, I'm going to kill you for that, Moses. That's, the, that's the, the compromise the devil offers every parent in this room. Hey, uh, 
take care of yourself, get yourself saved, but hey, don't worry about your children. And, and, and some people in their, in their zeal to save others lose their own family. And, and that's a terrible thing to do. There's another way that we unwittingly make that compromise as parents. Let me tell you what happens. When you get saved and you begin to do the things that God calls you to do, you, you can't help but be blessed by God. He's going to bless you. And he's going to bless you more than likely materially. And, and sometimes if you're not careful and you don't properly use those material blessings, you actually can use those material blessings to destroy your own children. Because you, you get, all of a sudden you're blessed and you're able to give your children the, the very best of everything. You're able to give them the best of secular education. Well, look out with some of that. You're able to give them the best of, of, of the entertainment world. Look out for a lo- most of that. And so we're, we're put in a position where we can bless our children, but in the process of blessing them, we better be real careful we don't lose them. And then... After the plague of darkness here that we just looked at, Pharaoh offers another compromise. He says, you and your little ones can go, but leave behind your cattle. What was he saying there? You don't need to make any kind of sacrifices to the Lord. See, Moses was taking the cattle, were important to him, because they were taking the cattle out to sacrifice some of those cattle to the Lord. They were all the Lord's. That's the way Moses saw them. They all belonged to the Lord. Pharaoh offers this compromise to us. He says, okay, go and worship God but you don't need to make any sacrifices. You've been saved by grace. Hey, we have been saved by grace. I'm a firm believer in grace. But does that mean, I mean, Pharaoh says, I mean, the devil says to us, you've been saved by grace. You don't need to tithe. You don't need to serve others. Just live for yourself like you've always lived for yourself. Look, everything we have, when you become a believer, everything, you have becomes the Lord. Now, is the Lord going to take everything you have? Probably not. He might. But it's his to take if he wants to. But he doesn't need anything we have. But when we become saved or when we get saved, we supposedly have a passion for God. We love God, and God wants us to love him. And we show our love by our willingness to make sacrifices. Look, you don't, if you don't make any, and I'm not here to get your money. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to do. Everybody see everybody grabbing their wallet. That's, that's, I'm not trying to get your money. But I got to tell you, if you don't give anything, money to the Lord, there's something wrong with your relationship with the Lord. I can pretty much measure your relationship with the Lord by how much you give. I don't know how much you give. I ought to look. And then I could say, okay, yeah, that person loves the Lord. That person loves the Lord. That person really doesn't love the Lord. I, I, I mean, can you love the Lord and not give to him? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, I don't believe we're under law. I don't believe we're, we, you know, I'm not saying you have to give 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever you want to give. But I do say this, if, if, you, if you have no heart to give, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. If you have no heart to give to the Lord. There's something wrong with your relationship with the Lord. And I say that in love. You need to ask yourself, am I really born again? If I don't care about serving others, if I don't care about giving to the Lord, do I really love the Lord? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. And you show your love by giving to others. And so so Pharaoh says, hey, you don't have to make those sacrifices. So, Look at those compromises and make sure that the devil hadn't tricked you into making any of those compromises. And thank goodness for the grace we have when we do fall and we make those compromises. God will pick us back up. Uh, You've got to do something a little more than Pharaoh did. You can't say, I've been caught, I've sinned. You've got to do something about it. You can say, Lord, I want to change my life. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. That's what we want in our lives. Now, He gets his last offer of compromise, and then he responds to it in verse number 26. Go with me to verse number 26. Our livestock, Moses says, look, everything belongs to the Lord. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof 
shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. It all belongs to him, Moses is saying. We don't know how much he's going to ask for. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. That's, you don't know what the Lord requires of you. We, Moses didn't know, we don't know. What, what's our, what should our heart be, though? Lord, everything I have belongs to you. You take what you need whenever you want it and, and, and use it for your kingdom. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For the day you see my face again, you shall die. And Moses said, you have spoken well. The time is coming soon, I'm going to add a little bit there, that I will never see your face again. And then comes, we come to the last plague, the tenth plague, the, the death of the firstborn. And, and uh, the Lord says to Moses in verse number one, he says, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh of Egypt. And this plague is going to do the job. It's going to, he, he's going to let you go this time. Afterward, he will let you go from here. Uh, when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here altogether. In fact, he's going to drive you out of here, want you out of here so bad, the Egyptians are going to give you everything they've got. And so he, uh, Moses didn't even have to ask the Lord what this plague was. He doesn't even say, what plague is it, Lord? He doesn't even have to ask that because you, you remember back in chapter 4 when Moses was leaving Midian to head for, for Egypt to, to deliver the the uh, Israelites, the Lord had told him that he had warned him. He stopped him at Mount Horeb and he said to Moses, he said, look, uh, Pharaoh's going to harden, this is not going to be easy. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. He's not going to let you go until I kill his firstborn son. So now the Lord's saying, hey, this is it. He's going to let you go. So Moses knows that this is the, the, the plague of the death of the firstborn uh, sons and so uh, he tells the people look hey get ready and the Lord says to him you get ready get ready and you tell the people to uh, to ask their neighbors this is a strange thing to ask them say go knock on their doors and say give me your silver and give me your gold give me whatever you got and they're gonna you know how they're gonna answer they're gonna say take it take it and get out of here we don't ever want to see you again if that's what it takes to get you out of here then 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 leave and then Moses turns, he's left Pharaoh, he turns back, uh, and he goes to Pharaoh, and in verse number four, Moses says, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as, such as was not like it before, nor shall it be ever be like it again. Uh, this, when you know the Lord, it's kind of hard to, to put your mind around this plague. I mean, this is a terrible plague. Imagine everyone in Egypt, every animal, every person, and really every Israelite, if they don't obey God's command about the Passover, we'll talk about that next week. But he's saying, he's, I'm going to kill every firstborn child. Now people see this text and say, boy, look at that. That's, you don't tell me there's not a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Well, what I would challenge you to do, if that's what you believe, is go read the book of Revelation, which, by the way, is the last book of the New Testament, and the things that happened in Revelation are a lot worse than the things that happened in the book of Exodus. Those plagues are much more terrible uh, uh, than they are in, in, during the Exodus. And so, so the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He is none other than Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, Jehovah in a body, in the flesh. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the God of the Old Testament. There's no doubt about that. And God, yes, he's love. And I ask everybody just saying, oh, God is just love. And he just, you know, he's love, 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 love. That's all I hear. Well, he is love. That's who he is. That's his essence. But because he's love, he's also just. 
He's just. And, and he's God. And he's the one, not the Supreme Court. He's the Supreme Court. He's the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. We don't determine what's right or what's wrong. He's the one who determines the punishment for what's right and what's wrong. We don't determine the punishment for what's right and what's wrong. And the punishment for what is wrong is death, eternal death in utter darkness. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Thank goodness for that. And you know, he shows us love. These plagues are love. That's what they are, they're love. Those Egyptians were worshiping everything but him. He's a jealous God. He had every right to wipe them off the map without saying a word. But he doesn't. I mean, in the book of Revelation, when those great tribulations come upon the earth, I mean, what does he do? He writes the gospel in the air. He sends an angel and, and, and declares the gospel to the whole world. Because he loves the world. He wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. And what do the people do? They cry, let the rocks call, fall on us. We would rather die and live in hell than worship you. You can't blame. I mean, the Lord is good. He's righteous. He's merciful. He's loving. But the Lord is just. And he always offers a chance for repentance. I mean, that's what he's doing here. He's giving Pharaoh one last chance before this terrible plague comes upon this land of Egypt. And let me tell you what else. In the midst of all these plagues, he also knows how to take care of his own. He knows how to take care of his own. Look at, look at verse number 7. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move his tongue. Not so much as move his tongue against them. Now, it really wouldn't bother me too much if my dog, my dog moves his tongue and slaps me on the face. But, but he's saying that, He's not even going to be able to lick you on the face. He's not going to be able to bite you. Nothing's going to happen. Not even a flea is going to get on the people of Israel. Against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the people of this world and the people of God, between the Egyptians and between Israel. And then in verse number Eight, he says, and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out. I mean, your, your priests, your musicians, uh, your constituency, uh, they're all going to come to me and they're going to demand that we get out of here. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Now, it's Pharaoh who was angry. Pharaoh was mad. And Pharaoh would have killed Moses on the spot if he thought he could have gotten away with it. But he knew he couldn't get away with it. He knew the hand of God was on Moses. And then, then Moses kind of sums this all up and all the plagues up in verse number 10. And it says, so Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was the one who started the process. God finished it. And he did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. So what's next? For Israel at this point, after Pharaoh's heart is hardened, the death plague is going to come. And every firstborn child, every firstborn son is going to die of the Egyptians. Every firstborn of the animals, they're going to die. But the Israelites are going to have the blood on their doorposts, and the death angel is going to pass over them and they're going to be saved. Now, you, there's a beautiful picture there. We're heading there uh, next week. But, but uh, what comes after that? What's next after the plagues? After the blood? The exodus. The exodus. So here we are. 2020, what a year, right? All of these plagues taking place in our world today. 
And I'd almost say you're a fool if you're not asking the question, what's next? I mean, you go online now and all these guys are having these dreams about these terrible things that are going to happen beginning this month in October, November, December. I, I, I take all of that with a grain of salt, but, you know, but the odds are, the way things are going, something's going to happen. So some of these guys are going to come out looking like they, they really know what they're doing. Beware of that kind of stuff. But, but, but uh, it, it, because the first time they're wrong, you've got to go stone them. That's what the Bible says. So, so but you really got to be asking the question, what's next? We're having all of these plagues. What's next? Well, we know that our Passover lamb has already died for us. He died for us on a cross. And we've been covered in his blood. Supernaturally, we've been covered in his blood. So, so, so as Jesus said in John 11, whosoever believes on me shall not die. So we're not going to die. That's not what's next. We're not going to die. Uh, our bo mortal bodies are going to die if we don't get raptured first, but, but we've been covered by the blood. Then came Pentecost, and we were given the very Spirit of God. We were given the very life of God. That's the next thing that happens. I mean, when you get saved, you get the blood, and you get, you get, the, the, you get the Spirit of God. Uh, what a gift, and you have the life of God in you. What's next? What's the next big thing on the calendar? Let me tell you what it is. It's our exodus, our departure either through the death of our mortal bodies or through the rapture. Peter, when he was speaking of his decease over in 2 Peter chapter 1, speaks of the fact that his decease is near. You go look at that word in the Greek, and it's the word exodon, which we get our English word what? Exodus from. Exodon is, is his departure's near uh, Exodus is our English transliteration of that. So what was Peter saying? Peter wasn't saying, I'm about to die and be put in the grave. He's saying, I'm about to depart for a better place. If the rapture doesn't come first and you die, you're really not dying. Your body's going to die, but you're going to be making an exodus. You're going to be making an exodus out of this world and you're going to be making an exodus to, to a much better place. But i got to wonder, the way things are going and all these plagues are coming upon the world, if the rapture isn't really drawing nigh. And, and that certainly could be the way a lot of us depart from this earth and head to a better place. So what do we do? I mean, if the exodus is near, what am I supposed to do? Well, if you were to go over to the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks about the rapture in, his, in, in chapter, the latter part of chapter 4. And as soon as he's done speaking of the rapture, he heads to chapter 25, and he gives us the parable of the ten virgins. The five, five of the virgins were foolish, and they weren't ready for the coming of the groom, and five of the virgins were wise, and they were ready for the coming of the groom. And the cry, midnight cry came, and the trumpets blew, or the bell rang, or however they announced it, but the groom came. And the wise virgins were taken in to be with the groom at the wedding. The foolish virgins were locked out. And they couldn't get into the wedding. And they banged on the door and they said, let us in. And, and the groom said, I'm not going to let you in because I do not know you. And this was speaking, this midnight cry, I have no doubt, was speaking of the rapture. The next big thing on our calendar is the rapture. If you don't die, if you're... Uh, if your body, mortal body doesn't die before then, you're going to get raptured out of here. So, you want to be ready. Well, how do you get ready? You got to know Christ. You got to know the groom. You've got to know him in a, in a, in a real way. That, the, the lesson's clear. We're to be watching. We're to be expectantly waiting. 
for the coming of the Lord, and I believe uh, it's just around the corner. And listen, we don't watch and wait for the Lord by sitting around and studying prophecy all day. That's not how we do it. That's what a lot of people are doing right now. Hey, prophecy, there. I mean, you can, you can, you can read it. It's in the Bible. There's lots of it in the Bible. I, I, I agree with that. But that's not our purpose right now. We're to be about the business of the Lord, the business of serving others and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what else. Here's, a, here's the way I would be getting ready right now, what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to eliminate some of these compromises in my life. We have no business being compromised with this world and then expecting the Lord to take us up in the air in the rapture. Now, now let me say this. this is the, it, if you're saved and you know the Lord, you're going to be raptured. But you want to be doing the right thing when the Lord comes. We need to be expectantly waiting on the Lord, not compromising with this world. We need to separate ourselves totally from this world. If you had done that, you need to start doing that. You need to be separate from this world. You separate yourself through prayer, through worship, uh, through Bible study, through just doing the things of the Lord, setting your mind on things above and not on things below. And we're to go far away, as far away as we can get from this world to worship the Lord. And, and if, if people call us fanatics for doing that, then, then so be, them, be it. Let them call us fanatics. And let me say this, you parents, again, don't compromise. We, we need to do everything we can to take our children and grandchildren with us. That needs to be our top priority. It is our top priority. And we need to be willing in these dark, dark times, in this plague of darkness we're living in right now, we need to be willing to make sacrifices and give up some of our stuff, some of our time for the Lord. What's next for those of us that know the Lord? The exodus. The exodus from the groans and pains of this earth to the blessings of glory. That's where we're heading. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We, we're so blessed that we do know you. Father, because we know you, we know that you know us. Lord, if there's anyone in this room today that doesn't truly know you, that has any doubts about whether they know you or not, let today be the day, Lord, that they, they, they set their salvation in stone, that they turn to you in a real way, Lord, that they're willing to, to, to not compromise with the things of this world any longer, but to but to give their life totally to you. Help us all do that, Lord. Even those of us that do know you, that have made so many compromises in our lives, help us to, 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 to stop doing that, Lord, and to, to truly become the kind of believers that we need to be because, Lord, what's next is your coming. And we're excited about that. We're looking up, Lord, but we want to see as many people saved before that happens. And so use us, Lord, in any way you can. We just ask that in Christ's name I pray. Amen.